when you look in your bulletin, you see we have a guest speaker this morning for Grandparents Day. We wanted to have a grandparent come up and speak. And so I'm here to introduce him. And I think there's a lot of things I could say, because <laughs> I know him pretty well. But you need to be careful when you're introducing the person who gave the hand of his daughter to you in marriage. That's right, but he's already done it, so I mean, he can't take it back. On the other hand, he's also getting up after me to speak, and he knows things about me, so I'm walking on eggshells here. Uh, our speaker today is Jeff Martin. He is my wife's father. He is a 1980 graduate of Lancaster Bible College, originally a pastoral major, then he moved into education and he was a teacher at Lancaster County Christian School for 20 plus years. Then he went into administration. Now he no longer does that. You might know him as your computer repairman. He's also a professional cruiser like this man here. <laughs> um, and there's more I could say, but we don't have enough time for that. And he's gonna make me sing. So I'm not happy about that, but he'd like to open in a song. So we're going to do that for you now. that I see make me wonder why he never gave up on me but he loves me as I am and he helps me when I pray remember he's the potter on the clay he's
kind of hard to follow that, isn't it? But uh, I saw everybody mouthing the words as we were singing, so I've got to get you involved with that as well. It's a privilege to be here, it really is, uh, and it's a, an awesome and a, and a fearsome uh, responsibility. But uh, I want to start off by saying that, um, you know, there are only three stages in life. There is the youth, there is adult, and then there is, my, you're looking well. <laughs> and when they start saying that, you know where you are. So happy Grandparents Day, and many of you, my, you're looking well today. As I was preparing, um, I, I use the internet, use books and, and a lot of resources, but I came upon two uh, anecdotal uh, short clips that I thought were very interesting and very appropriate. And uh, I'd like to read them to you. I tried to memorize them, but I'm a grandparent and I can't memorize. Plus, I tend to embellish things when I retell stories. So I thought I got to stick to my script here that I want. But anyway, Though her name is lost to history, the woman who finished last in the 1912 Shawnee Invitational for Ladies in Pennsylvania will live on as an essay of determination and perseverance. She teed off the 16 hole where her ball went directly into a nearby river. Now I can identify with that. She gamely set out in a rowboat to play the ball. When she finally succeeded in playing the ball out of the water, it landed in dense woods. I can identify. From the woods, she managed to get the ball into the rough. From there, she hit the ball into a sand trap and then back into the rough. After much effort, she finally got the ball into the cup. Her final score for the hole was 166. Now, for those of you who are not golfers, the par for that hole is four, which is how many times a golfer is supposed to hit the ball to get it into the cup. So we see in this woman, one who set out to accomplish something. She was determined to finish the work that she had started. She had a plan. I do, however, pity the foursome that followed her on that one. And then I also read this. In 2000, an upstart company operating on a movie rental by mail system offered to sell the company for $50 million to Blockbuster, uh, which was the home and movie video game rentals king at the time. Netflix had roughly 300,000 subscribers, while Blockbuster had millions and millions of them. The executives at Blockbuster passed on the opportunity to purchase its little competitor. The result? Today, Netflix has more than 180 million subscribers and it's worth nearly 200 billion. As for Blockbuster, well, it went bust. None of us here today can predict the future. I forgot I had this. There we go. Anyway, um, there are many people, sorry for that. There are many people who are under the impression that they're in control of their lives, their destiny. They believe that, that they can force things in their lives so that their plans come to fruition, so that they can succeed. 
And maybe that describes some of you here today. Now, it's fine, and it's actually responsible to have a plan for our lives. However, it's rather presumptuous to think that we are in control of our lives. After all, none of us, no one can predict what might happen in the future. There are going to be unexpected bends in the road. There are going to be those hurdles that come upon us that, that seem insurmountable, that seem like we can't get over them. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we can live confidently knowing that things do not happen haphazardly. There is someone, and in my notes I have that capitalized with an S, there is someone in firm control of everything, and nothing in our lives takes us by surprise. Let's consider a, a, a building project, a construction work. The work does not just start. It doesn't just begin and then haphazardly progress toward a finished project. The architect draws up the plan carefully, figures things out, um, uses all kinds of specs, all kinds of mathematics, and then he works closely with a builder, and the builder carries out that plan to a T. Every person involved in that project has a responsibility to do. There are some that are behind the scenes, there are some that are in front, and, and rather uh, it can be seen, <clears throat> but there is no job that is insignificant in the project. There's a specific order that things have to be done. Now, to a layperson looking at a construction project, sometimes we can't understand. Things look haphazard, things look really chaotic. You see messes here, piles here, but the architect and the builder, they have their plans. They know what that final product's gonna look like. They know what it's going to be. Now, there might be a time that comes up in that process that is unforeseen. Something happens that has to be dealt with and it's unanticipated. So the architect, the builder may have to get together. They may have to change their plans. But the point is that they can do it and they keep working toward the end goal. Plans are changed, they keep on working. Consider an athletic event. I coached basketball for many, many years. And I had my plans, I had my strategy going into a game. Now, needless to say, there were many times when my plans had to be changed because there was something that didn't go right. Uh, the opponent ended up being better than I thought. Maybe a couple of my players were injured or, or weren't playing well. So I had to change plans in the middle of the game. But hopefully, and there were many times, not often, but many times the, uh, uh, the changes did lead to a victory. So not that I was a good coach, but I had good players and that made all the difference in the world. But today, I wanna to take a look with you at truths relating to God's plan for each and every one of us here, each and every one of you. Whether you're here and you are a follower of Christ, now by that I mean uh, many people say they're Christians, and, and that's a good term, but I like to use the term a follower of Christ. So whether you're a follower of Christ and you're here today, or whether you're not, God has a plan for your life.
Now, we're going to be making references to several scriptural passages and verses. And a lot of these are not going to be new to you. You've heard these before. There, there's not going to be any special divine revelation coming out of my mouth here today. Uh, I am not extremely well-versed, uh, and I am not well-studied in some areas, but I know that I can be used of God. There won't be anything special, anything different coming out of my mouth, but there might be something that's going to touch your heart. I'm convinced that God can and will remind you of some things today that maybe you've heard already in your lives, or maybe uh, you've not heard before, but you're thinking, wow, yeah, that's pretty good. But it's not me. It's God. It's God's word. Perhaps you'll be drawn to a, a passage of scripture as we flip around to different verses. And you'll think, wow, that's a good verse. I, I need to memorize that because there might, be coming, uh, might come up a time in my life when I'm going to need that. I'll be in a situation and that verse is going to help me. But it's truly my desire today that you look beyond the messenger, beyond me. Don't look at me, but let's focus on the message and the author of that message, who is God. Take a moment and just pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you for the time we have today. And I ask that you would just use me for your honor and your glory, but open up our hearts as we open up your word for us to see the truths in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, again, as I said, we're going to be jumping around quite a bit, but I'd like to base some of our thoughts today on Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 to 13, and I'm going to ask you to follow along. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 13. This is God's word. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united, in, united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. 
And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he had promised long ago. And let's just turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, a couple chapters there, in verses 6 through 9. And this is God's plan, both Gentiles and Jews who believed the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. A couple words that came out and were repeated in each of those, God's plan and God's purpose. Well, the Bible reveals, oh, went the wrong way. The, God, God, yeah, the Bible reveals that the great God of heaven is both an architect and a builder of considerable skill. Now, Jeremiah 23, 17, you don't have to turn there. I'll be mentioning several scriptures. If you want to, you can. If you want to jot them down uh, to look at them later, you may certainly do that. Jeremiah 32, 17, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Go back to uh, 51, verse 15 in Jeremiah. The Lord has made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. So we see God fashioned, fashioned the entire world, the whole creation, out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out, out of nothing. He designed the millions of laws that sustain it. You ever think about that? All the laws, everything that happens consistently in this world, God designed that. He's interwoven all of the integral parts, the moving parts of this world, so that they function smoothly. Now, think about this. If you've ever, I, I don't know if any of you were um, inquisitive in your younger years, I was, um, tried to take apart a wind-up watch. You ever tried to take apart a watch? You open it up, and you have all the gears, all the springs, all the moving parts in there. Well, I wanted to see, well, can I put it back together? So the first piece I took out was a spring. All the other parts flew out afterwards. Needless to say, I couldn't get it back together again. But that's just minuscule compared to what God is doing in his creation. Every little thing that's going on, interwoven, 
perfectly by God. He's a magnificent creator of great power. His credentials as a builder, they are astounding. Even before he created the heavens and the earth, God has a plan. Now, I, I, I say that he has a plan. Um, we think, well, shouldn't I say he had a plan? Well, he has a plan. Even back then, you know, I thought of when, when uh, God was telling Moses, well, who should I say send me? I am has sent you. It's, it's in the present tense. Even before the world was created, God has a plan. Scripture makes it abundantly clear. We write that in Ephesians, but Isaiah 14 tells us this in verses 24, 26, and 27. Isaiah 14 says this, it will happen as I planned. It will be as I have decided. I have a plan for the earth, for the whole earth, a hand of judgment upon all the nations. The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plan? When his hand is raised, who can stop it? Now, the context of that verse is talking about uh, referencing God's destruction of the Assyrian army in the Old Testament. But I think the general principle is true, is right there. God has a plan. Who can stop him? Psalm 3311 tells us this, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Proverbs 19.21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. All this is going back to the fact that it starts with God, and he has that plan. Um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, which I, I was able to uh, find that and look that up online, it describes God's plan concisely and clearly. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass. To put it another way, God does as he pleases and when he pleases. Psalms 115.3 just confirms that. It says, our God is in heaven and he does as he wishes. So you see, all of this is funneling back to God. It is God who is in control. He has his plan. And you can see some of the characteristics of his plan. There's not all of them, but I wanted to focus on a couple of them. First of all, it's his plan. He didn't consult anybody. He didn't, didn't hire a consulting company. He didn't ask um, anybody at that time. It's his plan. Now, this often causes some people to view God as rather arbitrary or very selfish. You know, well, you know, he created it. It's his plan. He's not going to ask anybody. Well, we've got to keep in mind that, that God, we have to keep in mind all of God's attributes. When he made this plan, all of his attributes are, were, were there. He will never do anything contrary to his nature. So when we think about God's plan and that he's sovereign, he's in total control, let's think about he's holy, he's perfect, he's wise, he is a God of wrath, he's God of mercy, he's a God of love, he is just, he's patient, he is foreknowing. We could go on and on with, with God's attributes. 
But all of those come into play when he made his plan. We often think about, you know, well, a plan like that. Our minds are finite. We are so, basically, we're so selfish, self-centered, that we think that God's plan would be like what we would plan. You know, it's all for us, all for us. Well, we are sinful beings. We were created by him. We cannot, we cannot fathom God's perfect plan. We try, but we cannot. But it was his plan. God never becomes the, the victim of circumstances. It's his plan. He is never forced into a situation where he's got to do something that he cannot rejoice over. It's his plan. He cannot and will not be trapped or cornered or coerced to do anything. So to me, that's comforting to know that he is in control and he is, with all of his attributes, he's in control of my life. I like that. God's plan is eternal. It was established in eternity past. And long before he created the heavens and the earth, it was, it was there. It was established. My mind can't fathom that. It blows my mind to think about that. Forever in the past, God had his plan. And forever in the future, God has his plan. It extends to eternity future. What's the goal of God's plan? To bring him glory to himself. There are several verses that, that bring this out. Numbers 14, 21. Psalms 19, 1. Isaiah 48, 11 is a good one. Revelation 4, 11. Romans eleven thirty six. We don't have time to read all of those, but... He brings glory to himself. Now, unlike the architect or coach mentioned, that we mentioned above, God's plan does not, will not, and cannot change. There is no power good enough, strong enough, to hinder his plan from being done. And God's plan, the outcome, is good. After God created the, the heavens and the earth, each day, he looked at it, what did he say? It is good, perfect. Not sure how this is working here, but that's okay. God's plan includes building his church. Matthew 16, 16 to 18. And we read this. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now theologians, uh, they're theologians. They have mixed opinions about what that means upon this rock. But I, as I was reading that, I'm thinking, Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. So it's on that rock that he is building his church. God chose the materials for his church. He walked on this earth. He handpicked men who seemed to be the most unlikely candidates for the materials to help build his church. Think about the, the disciples and what their occupations were, what their backgrounds were when he chose them. 
He didn't pick among the most um, educated or the most talented. Uh, he picked individuals who are teachable. Think about that and how it might relate to you. People who are teachable, who have a desire to follow him, who have a great love for him and will grow over time. These are part of the building blocks of God's church. He chose the foundation for his church, the truth of his word, Jesus Christ, and sound doctrine. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. Sorry about that. He established a purpose for his church. The purpose is to bring him glory. We read several verses about that. But the one that I, I just really like, two verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I'm a fan of John Piper. I, I love to, to watch his messages uh, uh, online. But John Piper was talking about this verse. And he made a comment that sort of struck me. He, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And he mentioned, if you're eating a piece of pizza... I love pizza. Do it for the glory of God. No matter, whatever you do. It doesn't say whatever you think might please God. Whatever you do. So no matter what decision you make, no matter what you eat, no matter who you're with, no matter how you're talking, no matter, no matter what you do, do it all for the glory of God. And my favorite verse, my, my life's verse, Matthew 5, 16. Many of you know that. But in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The King James, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works, but that they might glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's not a suggestion. It's not an admonition. It's a command. We are to align our lives. You are to align your life with his eternal goal, to bring glory to him whatever, in whatever you do. He created us to display his glory. Now, again, I like what John Piper said about this. We are not microscopes. Uh, a microscope is something that takes something small that's naturally small and, you know, make it, make it look bigger. No, we're like telescopes. Something that is already magnificent, already big, already out there, and it just brings it closer to us. It makes it appear to be as great as it really is. We are to be telescopes. We are to bring him glory. God's plan in, in, includes every single one of you here today. And maybe some of you were thinking about this verse, but Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Psalms 139, 13 to 16 gave me a little bit of insight to this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. 
every day of my life was was recorded. I like that. Was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He made us. He made you. He formed you. He created you. He has a plan. Now, here are some other thoughts. He knows you. He knows us intricately. Psalm 9411, the Lord knows people's thoughts. But this one here, Psalm 139, 1 to 4. Listen to this. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Wow. That is definitely sobering and, and somewhat daunting and scary, isn't it? God knows what you and I, what we're going to say even before we say He knows what we're thinking. Doesn't matter how young you might be. Doesn't matter how good you look here today. God knows your thoughts. And it can be somewhat daunting. But on the other hand, it can also be comforting. It can be helpful, especially when things don't go as you planned. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, the fact that he knows what will happen even before they happen, well, that can be comforting to us. God knows it. Nothing in your life takes God by surprise. Nothing. The fact that he knows what we will be thinking and saying can help us to react and respond to situations in a way that will bring glory to him. Just a reminder, something happens. You stub your toe. I don't know whatever it might be. But, you know, you can respond, you can react in a way that's going to honor him. The fact that he knows all of these things helps us to better appreciate that he is not done working on us yet. He is not done. God's still working on you. God initiated that plan and he continues to work on it throughout your life. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God who began that good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. Not while we're here on this earth necessarily. On the day Jesus Christ returns. God is orchestrating every little thing behind the scenes. Every little detail that goes on in this world. No matter even if we deem them to be not good or if we think that they're bad. God is always at work. And the first example that came to my mind is Joseph in the Old Testament. I love sharing about his life. All his brothers did some nasty things to him, beat him, sold him into slavery. They mistreated him. Um, and then when he was in prison, he was forgotten for three more years. Um, he was thrown in prison unjustly. Yet at the end of his life, God's overall plan, God used all of these situations for good. And I'll make mention of that just a little bit. God has a plan for you. What is his end plan? What is his goal? To mold and develop you to ultimately reflect 
the image and character of Christ so that we can bring him glory. See, it's not about us. God doesn't give us abilities to make us look good. God doesn't give us gifts so that we can use them and get accolades and, and things from people. No. Now, that might happen. That's a secondary result. But what God has given you, he's given it to you so that you can bring honor and glory to him, so that you can reflect his glory. <clears throat> and we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Uh, that doesn't mean everything that, everything that happened to us is going to be good. But he causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called to according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Just as we are now like earthly men, we are someday going to be like the heavenly man. God is working in our lives to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can bring honor and glory to him. We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to actively use our gifts for him. That's part of his goal. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be actively involved. Um, we see a couple verses, uh, Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means do things. You're supposed to do things once you become a follower of Christ. And again, you're not doing them to make you look good. You're doing them to help you grow, to help you become more like Jesus Christ, to bring honor and glory to God. And again, God never promises that our lives are going to be without problems, without difficulties or anything like that. We have the example of, of Paul in the Old Testament, second, I mean, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 33. This is Paul serving God, serving the Lord, wanting to just please him. But this is what happened to Paul. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry, I've been thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then beside all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I'm not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor, the king under Arius, kept guard at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket. Paul, um, then he mentions in Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment that is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul, his life didn't go as he had hoped. It wasn't all roses. He was persecuted, but he was still concerned and had the desire to please God, to serve God, so that others would come to the saving knowledge of God. Paul and Silas in prison, they were beaten. They were chained to a wall. What did they do? They sang praises to God. They didn't say, woe is me, why is this happening? Oh, you know. Now, you know, maybe they had some thoughts like that. I don't know, they were human. But they sang praises to God. Come back to Joseph very quickly. In the Old Testament, all those things that happened to him, and his brothers were finally standing before him because he was second in command down in Egypt. He was, he, nobody was more powerful than he. And he, his brothers were standing before him. They were sort of afraid. Well, they were really afraid because they knew that they did not treat him well. And he had the power, snap his fingers, and he could have had them killed. This is what he says, Genesis 45. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. All that happened to him, God sent him there. And then a couple of verses later in verse 8, so it was God who sent me here, not you. I can't believe that. It's, that blows my mind. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And then finally in chapter 50, um, their father had died and the brothers were just so afraid. He was just treating us nicely because dad was alive. Genesis 50, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good. He brought me here to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I don't know, time is waning here quickly. I'm going on and on. But God still wants us to work for him no matter how young, no matter how old we might be. For a Christian, as we get older, and I'm approaching retirement age, some of you are retired, which is great. But that got me thinking, do Christians ever retire? Should a Christian ever retire? Now, even though we retire from our vocations in life, our jobs may change, but our responsibility as Christians do not God is never finished with us. Again, go back to Paul and even Peter. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved the things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what is ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling. Peter says the same thing. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Savior Jesus Christ. He wants us to continue to grow, to glorify him, 
to bring him the praise that is due him. There may be some of you here today who, uh, many of you that are followers of Christ, maybe in the busyness of your life, you have lost sight or it's become tucked in the back of your mind that God is control, in control of your life. He, is, he has his plan and nothing that you might be going through is taking him by surprise. He will give you the strength to get through it. But not only that, perhaps because of your response, how you act, what you do, that might be a way that he's using you to affect the lives of some others. God has his plan. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, perhaps God is working in your heart now. Maybe there are things happening in your life that you, you don't understand what's going on, what's happening. Maybe that's God's way of knocking on your heart's door and saying, hey, have you ever considered that? Trying to draw him to you. God is not finished with me yet. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words. Thank you for the opportunity we had to open up your word. I ask that you would take these words, um, just help them to make sense in some way that we might honor, glorify you as we continue to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Done. Richard, thank you, Jeff, for being here. Really spoke to my heart. There was one phrase that says, do all things for the glory of God. And when you say all, that means all. And Jeff chose a, he chose a closing song, All for Jesus. It's number 391 in my living in song book. He said I could change the song if I wish, but I think it's a great song to sing. All for Jesus, we'll rise and sing it. And remember, let me say all, it's everything, really, folks. Shall we sing, all for Jesus. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my being's ransom powers, all my thoughts and words endurings, all my days and all my hours, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. Perform his bidding, let my feet run in his grace, let my eyes see Jesus only, let my lips speak forth his praise.
His grace. Since my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I lost sight of all beside. So enchain my spirit's vision, looking at the crucified. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, looking at the crucified. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, looking at the crucified. Oh, what wonder, how amazing, Jesus, glorious King of kings, designs my God. Let me rest beneath his wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. Resting now between his wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, we just reflect on your word as we depart here. May we uh, just have these impressed on our hearts that, that we might be, that you would be on our minds, our hearts, our speech, no matter what we do, uh, not just the rest of today, but throughout this week as we go to the workplace, as we uh, visit people, whatever it might be. But Father, it's all for you, for your honor, for your glory, and we need your strength. I need your strength for that. And we pray for your strength, wisdom, and uh, guidance to do that. We ask that you would, uh, for your traveling mercies as we depart from here in this weather today. And, and uh, may we just enjoy the rest of the day. In your name, amen. amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.